Good morning, Fellowship High Crest. Well, we can do better than that because I haven't seen some of you in a couple of weeks, so I know you've been on vacation. Good morning, Fellowship High Crest. Good morning. Oh, man. We are glad to be here and get going. There's still some of us that's on vacation. Um, this week, uh, Scent kicked off. Uh, Scent, if you're not familiar with it, is our um, community development arm. It's our non-religious nonprofit. It kicked off its summer lunch program, which is the first leg of our nonprofit. And um, we had, within an hour, we had over 200 um, kids signed up completely full, jam-packed. We, each day we had around 186 kids on campus here running around the halls. Yeah, yeah. Um, I tell you what, a lot of hours were put in. If, if, I mean, this program, we're going to have a couple of spots open up because a couple of the kids were signed up and didn't show up. And we, we heard all kinds of things from the community, um, from the kids that are involved. Our kids this summer are going to be learning how to design their own uh, video games through learning computer programming. They're going to be dissecting pig hearts. Um, they're going to be launching rockets. They're doing all kind of art stuff. They have all kind of resiliency training and different things of that nature going on. There's an incredible amount of things going on. Um, if you are one of our interns or if you volunteered with Scent so far, why don't you guys stand up? If you're here in this room and you've been volunteering with Scent. Yeah, let's give them a hand clap. I mean, we appreciate that. Um, it is a wonderful thing. If you see a Paige win in the hallway, you give her a hug. I tell you what. And the things that we're hearing already are just great to hear and be a part of or what's coming out. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. We knew that it was something when we showed up the Sunday night before we started and there was this gym was full of parents. Uh, Andy Vold at Lee's Young Life said, I've never seen that many parents in this building. So that's the kind of thing we want to see. And that's why it's so important. If this is your first time visiting, uh, visiting uh, Highcrest, I want to welcome you, and I want to let you know that as I speak this morning, there will be page numbers that are on the screen, and those page numbers will correlate to the page numbers that are in the blue Bibles that are in your seat. And as I speak, uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can take that one as our gift to you. If you don't have one that's easy to read, you can take that one as our gift to you. If you know someone that has a, doesn't have a Bible or doesn't have one that's easy to read, you can take that one and give it to them as a gift from the both of us. The Bible is made of two parts. Um, it's Old Testament and New Testament. Our scripture today, uh, we're continuing with our series that we started last week um, throughout the book of 1 Peter. is in the New Testament. The New Testament starts off with these four books known as the Gospels, and they tell about um, Jesus' life while he was here on earth. The first three of those books, uh, Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, are uh, called the Synoptic Gospels, meaning that they tell the same story, but from different points of view, meaning that if you were a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, um, that you saw the game the other night, but you just saw it from a losing point of view. Where Golden State fans start from a winning point of view, same game with different points of view. Then you get to John, and John just takes off into different, and then you get to these uh, Pauline epistles, the 13 books, and then you get to the general epistles, which our book is found in this morning. Our focal passage is found in the first chapter of um, the book of 1 Peter, in verses 13 through the eighth verse of chapter 2, and, and there it would say this. 
So prepare your hearts and minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But you now, uh, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. Man, look at here. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have been, you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. This is God's word. Now, if you're a fan of Everybody Loves Raymond, then you know that his brother Robert has this uh, strange habit. What is it? He touches all of his food to his chin before he puts it into his mouth. Now, we don't immediately find out why he does this, and it's not until much later in the series that we ever discover why he does this. And most of us in this room would, would say that if we had somebody in our life that uh, touched all their food to their chin before putting it in their mouth, that we would think that that was kind of weird, kind of silly. And while we might not do that, all of us would have to admit there are some things in our life that we do for no other reason than we've always done them or we've seen somebody else do those things, and so we repeat them. And for a lot of Christians, going to church is one of those things. But what does our need for a relationship with God have to do with our need to be connected with and engaged in um, life with a local body of believers? If I can have eternal salvation without being a part of a local body of believers, why should I take time out of my schedule to be around people that I don't know and might not even like. We live in a country where there are 85 million people who are unchurched and unbelieving. 85 million people who are unchurched and unbelieving. And there's another 15 million people who believe but have no intentions of ever connecting with a church. So, We stated last week that we won't reach those 100 million people by putting on better church services. That it's going to have to happen in the stream of everyday life. And after we've connected with those people and shared the gospel with those people, why do we tell them it's important to be a part of a local body of believers? Not going to church won't send you to hell. I want you to hear that this morning as we start off. That's important for you to know. Not going to church won't send you to hell. So why get up? Why miss that show? Why serve? Why give? Why let these folks into your life and know your business? See, the New Testament um, is a is a collection of missionary documents sent into missionary situations. We all know that we have a way when things get rough, 
We have a way of reducing life till it's least common denominator and doing only what has to be done, doing only what brings value, only what's worth it. And so Peter needed to tell and the readers of this letter needed to know why in the midst of all the things they were suffering, it was important for them to be a part of a local body of believers. Today, as we explore our text, we're going to um, look at while stepping across the line of faith gives us a new who being a part of the church gives us a new how, a new what, and a new why. Stepping across the line of faith gives us a new who, but being a part of the church gives us a new how, a new what, and a new why. The first how we get is how we grow. This living hope that we have that, that we discussed last week that makes living on the outside of popular culture not as bad as it seems, calls us to be holy as seen in the passage that we open up by reading. And, and it says that God is holy and we are to grow to be like him. That is a big statement, something that should not just be glossed over. God is holy and he calls us to be holy like him. But how does this happen? Well, Peter explains it in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 1, and and here's what he writes. He said, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. So looking at um, what Peter said here, there's a couple things that we learn about how we grow as Christians. And the first one is this. We grow from the inside out. We grow from the inside out. See, the scripture, as we read it in the translation that you're reading, says that you were cleansed from your sins. And that word you is actually the word psyche, from which we get our word psychology. And psychology is the study of the human mind and our, our characteristic mental makeup. It's our spiritual center, so to speak. Peter is saying that our new identity, which is found in our relationship to Christ, changes how we think about growth. Peter is saying that he wants his audience to understand that when it comes to being different, that previously they piled on. But what Christ is wanting, what the scriptures is talking about, what God is calling for is a complete transformation. And here's the difference. On the stage here, I hope that all y'all got to see, I have some cinder blocks. Now, if I put this cinder block on top of these other cinder blocks, is this pile of cinder blocks growing? Yes. If I was to go outside and plant some tulip bulbs, and over the next couple of weeks, those tulips will grow and bloom and be beautiful, would those tulips be growing? Yes. Are the cinder blocks and the tulips doing the same thing? No. Here's the difference, right? There is a difference. One is just a mechanical heaping up, and the other is an internal organic growth. It's the same way, and it's the same difference between being just ethical and moral and being completely transformed from an internal spiritual change. You can be religious. You can be ethical. You can heap up good works. You can have perfect attendance. Um, pins. You can heap up a spiritual resume. You can heap up intellectual knowledge of the faith and of the Bible and so forth. But that's not the same as actually becoming a new person, growing because there's an internal change that has occurred and transformation that is going on, growing into a wiser person, into a person 
who is, is, is both internally changed and transformed into a person who is happier, yet able to grieve, into a person who is stronger and tougher, yet able to be sweet at the same time. I remember being a youth pastor and, and having kids that went through Awanas. Anybody know about Awanas? And I would have uh, kids in there um, that have had won the Timothy Award as a part of Awanas. And if you know anything about Awanas, that's like the top prize. You remember it, all these verses. But I would see these girls who won the Timothy Award date the biggest knucklehead in the youth ministry. <laughs> and I'm thinking, out of all those scriptures you learned to memorize, none of them told you that this sucker right here ain't the one that you want to date? There's a difference between mechanical heaping up and internal and internal core transformation. There is a difference between it. It's a huge difference. The Bible says that that constantly that we have to recognize the difference between the two. The Bible says that morality that does not proceed from an internal spiritual transformation of the soul, one that doesn't come from organically internal growth, is pretty to look at, but it's cold. It freezes the people around them. It's the kind of morality that says this. It says that that there's needy kids in our city, so we should do something about it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pay 3K to go on this um, week-long mission trip because my fears and my priorities won't let me invest in the kids in my city on a normal basis. It says I'll write a check, but I won't give my time. It says we should start a program, but, but I won't open my home. It says that we should plan the next community meal, but I won't invite those folks to come and sit down at my dinner table with my family and have dinner with us. It says that, you know what, we need to go do some projects at those kids' schools, but I really don't want to let my kids go to those schools, and I don't want my, friend, my kids to really be friends with those kids in those schools. You don't want to be around people like that. It, it freezes you. Therefore, the Bible says it's just extremely important to understand that there's a huge difference between being new and being nice, organically growing and and, and being ethical. Another implication is this. There might be somebody here this morning that's going through something. And life is just beating you up. And somebody around you saw life just beating on you. And they invited you. You've never really been interested in spiritual things at all. But but because life is really throwing you on the ropes, you said, "Okay, I'm going to come. And you and you say, I'm not really not interested in all this stuff. What I what I really want is help just on this particular issue. I want you to know something. The Bible says there is no such thing as piecemeal change. God has no interest in you being improved, but every intention on you being made new. So you can't be new and improved at the same time. Have you ever noticed that? Like they'll put that on packages, new and improved. You can't be new and improved at the same time. You can only be one or the other. And there's far too many of us that want to be improved when God wants to make us new. If you come and you say, I need some kind of spiritual help from God to overcome this habit or change in this way. um, The Bible says by just becoming moral, just by piling up uh, a brick on top of a brick, that's not what Christianity is about. You have to give him your whole self. You have to give him your whole self, and he will revolutionize you from the inside out. That is called a great exchange. Otherwise, he gives you nothing. It's always been the deal. All of him for all of you. That has always been what Christ has offered. There's no such thing as a piecemeal change. 
Peter says that we have to realize that growth happens from the inside out. Then he also said we have to realize this, that growth is gradual. Growth is gradual. Verse 23 says that you were born into this new life. That means that everyone starts out in Christianity as a baby. Now, this has several implications. First of all, that means that just like a baby, all Christians need a family. Why is this? Why is this? Because babies can't survive on their own. I know this is troubling for some because we like, this is what we like to do a lot of times. We like to read this book and listen to this podcast and look at this video online and go to this church and go to that church and be involved with this outreach thing and do this and that. And, and that's not how this thing happens. That's not how this thing happens. We like to design our lives and live in autonomy all the time, but that's not how this happens. We have to be committed to a particular body of believers. And we're going to talk about why in a minute. And if you're a baby, you need to desperately, you need a family. And secondly, if you're a baby, you need to be patient. But babies are impatient. That is a sign of childishness. Children love the spectaculars. They, they, they love to see the baptisms. They love to see these radical testimony stories all the time, but they don't want to do the nitty-gritty everyday work, the setting up of the chairs and the things that have to happen. To be a baby means it's going to take you a long time to mature. Sorry, I, I, I constantly I come across these, these people, and it's like, great, God is doing great things in their life, and they step over the line of faith, and they want me to make them a leader right away. It's going to take a long time. It doesn't happen fast. You can help a kid out uh, in many different ways. You can read all kinds of stuff to them. You can do all kinds of things. But, but no matter how much you read to them, they're just not going to be reading Shakespeare at ages one, two, and three. It's just not going to happen. It's going to take a long time. And so if you're a baby, it's going to take a long time for you to get anywhere near um, where you need to be spiritual, a long time for you to learn the scriptures, a long time um, for you to get anywhere near where you think you need to be at the end. And so you're going to have to slow down. You're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to give yourself some grace. You're going to have to trust the process. That's what it's going to take. It's not going to happen tomorrow. A lot of people want to step across the line of faith and want to be preaching tomorrow. You're going to have to slow down. Now, how we think about growth is not the only new how. We get, but we will also get a new way of measuring growth, how we measure growth. Maturity is not measured in the time since you prayed a prayer or since you've been dunked in a, in a pool of water. Spiritual maturity is measured in this, apply truth over time. It's your ability to apply truth over time that shows if you're spiritually mature or not. And there are two marks of applying truth over time that Peter talks about. And and these two marks are mentioned many times in Scripture. And here's what it says. It says, first, there's a sense of incredible love within the family of God. And two, there's a grasp of grace. And here's why those are important. The first one is this. Until a person is secure in where they're going when they die, they'll never be able to grow and mature in their Christian life. Until a person is secure about where their eternal uh, destination is, they'll never be able to focus on anything else that God is trying to say to them or do with them. I remember being a kid who didn't have security, and I was in FCA, and every time they would give an altar call, I would be going down because I knew I was going to hell with gasoline draws on. (laughs) 
I couldn't focus on anything else that God was trying to do in my life and speak into my heart because I was afraid that when I died, I was going to be separated from God. But once in my college freshman year, I was in a small group, in an accountability group, and, and this guy told me and walked through the scriptures with me and showed that I couldn't do anything to mess that thing up. Man, my life shot off. Once you grasp grace, then you, you won't have, um, you, you'll have what it needs to be produce a mature Christian. You won't produce just religiosity. And that's what makes everybody hate religion is religiosity. And here's why. Because in religiosity, what you do is you have to condemn people. You have to feel superior to people. You have to put people down. You have to persecute people in order to bolster yourself and to say that you're okay. And in religion, what you do is you obey the truth because of this. You want people to respect you. You want to respect yourself. You're hoping that God will forgive you by what you're doing. And you want to um, hope that God will bless you because of what you're doing. If you're doing what you're doing because you want God to forgive you or something or bless you in a certain way, then that's religion. That's not Christianity. Peter's getting real in this thing. Don't, this is Peter saying this. This is not John. Christianity says because Jesus Christ lived and died for me, I'm completely acceptable to God. And when you take that into your core, that changes everything. It changes the way you look at people because you don't need their approval anymore. You don't need their respect. And it changes the way you look at yourself because you're not desperately trying to to gather and gain some sense of self-worth. It changes the way you look at God because you're clean. Grasping grace then allows you to have an intense love for the family of God. And here's why. Because most of us have had a job or been on a team or been able to in, in some kind of dysfunction in society. And we have a Kim list. What's a Kim list? A Kim is a keep it moving list. You know what I'm talking about? See, all of us know how to smile and wave and, look, and make nice with people that we really don't like. But then you tell them to keep it moving because you don't really want to spend time around them. Like, just keep that moving. I'm going to say hi. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. Right? We had a Kim list. Right? But that is religion. That is not spiritual maturity. Your ability to smile and make nice with people you don't like, that is not being spiritually mature. Here's why. The word sincere means to not put on. Being transformed internally means that you start being drawn to difficult people in your life, people that not like you, people um, that who, you, who have done you wrong, people who are hard to deal with, who are full of drama, can you identify? If not, then maybe we're not as spiritually mature as we think we are. If you're not being drawn to people like that in your life, then maybe you're not as spiritually mature as you think you are. Because that's what spiritual maturity would do. Being an engaged member of a local body of believers will test you on these areas constantly. And how in the world do we get to a place where this is the case? And I'm going to tell you why this is important. I got a text this weekend from a friend back in Texas, and he said, hey, um, I'm going to go be a part of this gay pride parade. What do you, what do you, what do you think, John? And so I, I talked him through where I stood on that and why. And he said, you know, I got a friend that is serving as a police officer at a campus that, that we used to go to, at a church we used to go to, and, and he's homosexual, and he stopped going to church because of how some of the people that were Christians treated him. 
He said, but the people at this church are so nice to him that he's considering stepping back into church. When the outside world sees how we treat each other, when we can be difficult, when we don't agree, that's when we're going to start being attractive to outside folk. When it's not just a function of being around people that's like us, who, who value the same things we like, who live like us, who have the same political stances, who stand at the anthem if we stand, or kneel if we kneel. When we get to that point, that's when the world is going, that's when the, we're going to start reaching those hundred million people. Our new what gives us what we use to grow in those two areas of our lives. And, and what do we use to grow? Our new tools are found in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 1. And there it says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Now, the first thing that helps you grow is knowing the story. Look at verse 18. It says, he says that you, um, you know that God saved you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And, and the first thing that helps us grow is knowing the gospel, how God gave his only begotten son to die for us as a ransom for us, for sinners. You were bought with a price. The second tool that helps us grow spiritually is tasting the word. What do I mean? There are some people I know in your life that act like they've been saved their whole life. But look at the comparison that Peter draws here. He says what? God doesn't compare us to the people around us. He says that God saved us from our own empty lives. God is saying this. The more you know the story, the more you study the word, the more patience you take in being transformed from the inside out, the more you are able to sincerely love people that that you don't like, not because you're supposed to out of religion, but because you realize how bad you once were and that how God loved you When no one deserved to love you, when no one should have. See, only those who refuse to be defined by people not like them can bless people not like them. If your whole definition of self comes from, well, at least I don't do that or I'm not that person, you can't bless people that's not like you. Because you're going to always need to push them down in order to push yourself up. You refuse to be defined by others when you begin to learn the story and taste the word for yourself. Because you start off as a baby, you need a family to help teach you the story and teach you the word until you're able to start feeding yourself. Then the last one is, why do life this way? Why do life this way? And that's found in verses 4 through 8 of chapter 2. And here's what it says. It says, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in him, uh, trust him, recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, so they meet the fate that was planned for them. 
when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're born again. So the first reason that we become a part of a local body of believers is that the Bible tells us that this new birth creates a family. This new birth creates a family. The, more, the normal way that a family works is this. Uh, you have this rather intimate relationship with all the other people who share the same parent. If you have stepped over the line of faith, we all have the same parent. You live together. You know one another. You're born into the family. The Bible tells us that you were born again, not into this individual state of inner peace and calm and comfort, but you were born into a new community. And what is community? Community is shared life based on truth, availability, vulnerability, and reliability. Let me say that again. Community is shared life based on truth, availability, vulnerability, and reliability. And here's some of the problems, right? One, when you see this, we have a problem with this, and we see the same divorce rate inside and outside the church. And I believe because we don't really know what it means to do community is one of the issues. Right? When you think about this shared life, a lot of times I'll see people say, man, I want these deeper relationships. We crave that so much, but they have no margin, and they don't want to really share their life, right? And when they get into these relationships, they don't want to be able to be truthful about what's going on in their hearts and what's going on in their lives. And then they don't have an availability because they have no margin because they so planned out that they can't spend time with people on a regular basis. And then when you get to the point about being vulnerable, they don't want to share what's really going on in their hearts and the deep things that are causing them to act the way they're acting. And then when it comes to being reliable, you can't really count on them to show up for anything. They can't tell you to the last minute. They, at the last minute, they bail out on you all the time. That's why we're hurting in the church, folk. Community is shared life based on truth, availability, vulnerability, and reliability. The new birth puts you into a community with all the other people who've been through the same experience, and we have to understand that. We have to know that. And the second reason why we become engaged with a local body of believers is because we're born to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. What do I mean by that? See, the earliest Christian groups would have stood out and been distinct from all the other ones because... um, they practiced no sacrificial ritual. They named no one as priest. They looked to no temple like the one in Jerusalem. Christianity came along, and it was the very first religion in history that said to the people of the world, you don't need a temple. See, some people will be like, oh, man, what y'all are doing in high crest is great. When are you going to build a church? We already did. We already are. You don't need an altar. You don't need a priest. You don't need any sacrifices. Every culture, every religion, um, there was, they sensed that there was a gap between God and man. And they said, hey, if you're going to experience the divine, you, have to, you need a temple. You need a priest. You need sacrifices. You need a ritual of some sort. Every religion, every faith, every philosophy says that if you want to experience God, you have to do it the same way. You had to pile bricks on top of one another. But then Peter came with this message, and he changed it all. He said, look at here. If you don't, need, you don't need all that stuff, here's what you need. If you're going to experience the Spirit, there's a place where you can touch the divine. But here's how it's done. Not by laying brick on top of brick, but by laying Christian on top of Christian. What Peter is saying is you find God through Christian community. The Christian community is the temple. So what does that mean? This means that in your Christian relationships, to the degree and of depth in your relationship, to the degree that you're being built into God and to one another, to that degree, God is inhabiting you. You want to sense God more in your life? Go deeper into community with the body. 
I'm not saying that you have to belong to a church to be saved. Remember that the people that Peter is writing to were already saved. It's not that issue. And I know some of you might say, man, I come to church every Sunday, but are you fitted? Are you built in? Look at the image. First of all, once you put a stone into the wall of a temple, if it's going to be a good wall, then the stones have to stay there. The stones need to stay there. You can't take the stones out. The stones don't leave. The stones have to stay there. Christians need to spend time with each other. Secondly, you have to find your role in Christian community. The stone has to be in the right place. You have to have stones which are above you, which means these are people that you are serving, people that you are ministering to, people that you are instructing, and people that you are supporting. But you also have to have stones below you. These are people that are instructing and serving and supporting you because they're more mature than you. At any given time, you have to have deep relationships in which you are accountable to people and people are accountable to you. You're in relationships where people know you well enough to be able to pray for you and the things that are going on in your life. And they are also able to tell you things about yourself that you can't see yourself and speaking to your life. By the way, have you noticed as I've been speaking this morning that these are things that really can't happen on a Sunday morning? That's why we start offering things like family dinner. That's why family dinner is not this real optional thing, but it's if you want to grow, you're going to be a part of community. God is actually saying, look, if you're the typical individualistic American Christian and you would like a religion and you would like a God who works in your life without having to be deeply embedded in a a particular Christian community with relationships, with accountability. If you want a God who works in your life that way, go find another God because I don't work that way. You have to be in community. Here's the last part of this new why. Why would God have you do life in this new way? Why would God ask you to be a part of something bigger than yourself? It's because you were born to be a part of something different. What do I mean by that? You were given this new hope that births you into this new community so that you grow differently, so that you uh, measure how much you've grown differently, so that you use the things that are counter to what everybody else in the world is using as a means for your growth, so that you do life in this new family differently, so that together that that family can love and talk positively about the neighborhood and city in which God has placed them, so that together that new family can get rid of the churchy speech that allows those that are not a part of that group to be a part of the conversation, so that together as you study the Bible and apply the gospel to your core, that you are transformed in the concerns and the stories of the people around you are addressed, so that together they can be interested in, engaged with the culture and art and thought of the surrounding culture and can discuss it um, and appreciatively and yet critically so that together they can exhibit some deep concern for the poor and be generous um, financially with their money and, and purity and respect for the opposite sex and show humility toward people of different races and cultures so that together they can speak highly of other Christians and churches not bashing them so that seekers and non-believing people will be invited from around their city and want to be a part and come to stay to explore these spiritual things. Are you in need of a new family? Are you in need of a new story? Do you want a new way of doing life? It all starts with accepting Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. For us, that means stepping across the line of faith. It's in that moment 
that you move from trying to be good enough on your own to trusting the fact that Christ was good enough because you can't be. If you're here and you have stepped over the line of faith but have not gone public with your faith, next Sunday we'll be doing baptisms. Mark it on your card. Go online and sign up. Talk to um, our prayer team and media ruin after service about that. We can make that happen. If, if you're here and you are a baptized believer, but you are not in community, man, talk to us about that. Let us help you step into community. Over the coming months, you're going to start hearing about these things called LTGs that we do, life transformation groups, where you can go deeper in some gender-based relationships. And I challenge you to start praying now about how God may be calling you into that, some deeper community where you are fitted in. Are you fitted in? Are you fitted in? Is the church an event you go to, a place you go to, or something that you're a part of? Are you fitted in? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We know, Father, that no change happens in our lives outside of the Spirit of God using the Word of God in the context of the community of God. Help us to value community. Help us to see why you've called us to this new family and this new community, this new way of life. Help us change the way we measure growth. Father, if there's anyone here that's been trying to do it on their own, that wants a new family. I pray, Father, that they will make that decision today to step over and start trusting solely in the, the, the life, death, burial, resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in the darling son, Jesus' name. Amen.